Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your blessed mercy today. Thank you for the keeping grace that has allowed us to come back to this place, Lord. You, you've been good to us. You've seen us through dangers and circumstances that some seen and some unseen. Thank you for bringing us back to this place. Thank you for an opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk. And in as much as you permitted it, Lord, I ask you for your grace. The grace that's needed to talk to your people about you. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Don't let me be a hindrance to the purposes for which this was created. In the areas of deficiency, I'm asking you to let grace make the difference. Bless this word and help it to have the power that it needs to change the lives of those who will hear it. Give them ears and hearts to listen and then Lord when it's all done I certainly wouldn't dare try to take any of the credit for myself but it's you and you alone who deserve the honor and the glory thank you for your son Jesus Christ the love he's obviously shown us by giving his life for us. The love you've shown for him by accepting that. It's in his name that we pray and we submit this petition, Lord, and we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. We thank you for being our Lord and our strength and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Long time coming. Long, long time coming. I've been wondering for a while why we come to church. It's just been a notion that's been in my head. Why do we come here? Because I've seen over these last months, almost, I can almost say years, that we've been out of space that we were normally coming to, regularly coming to. Why, why is it that we come to church? And I've asked the Lord to show me opportunity to give some instruction on why it is we really should be coming to church. Because I know why we come. We come to see and be seen. That's why we come to church. We, we come to fellowship. 
If I would ask each one of you to describe what worship is, and we, we, we use that term loosely because we don't have a fixed definition. Maybe we don't have as fixed a definition as we need to have on worship. I went to a pastor's, inst- I, I went to a sermon, a first sermon for a young preacher some years ago and got schooled by an old preacher on why we should come to church. And he did it publicly too. And it's okay because it's left an indelible mark in my mind. At the end of the sermon, guests were being welcomed and several of us stood up and, and I said, I came to support blank in his sermon. And the older minister said, it's wonderful to have all of you here today. Thank God you came and thought enough of blank to come and support him. But our primary goal whenever we come to church ought to be to worship. And as much of a cut as that was on what I said, he was absolutely right. For whatever other reasons we may come to church, no matter our duties, our primary reason for coming to this this facility should be to worship. And sometimes I think that gets lost. And so I ask you, if I would ask you what is worship, some of you would say singing, some of you would say praying, and some say teaching, and then others of us might even say Preaching, and while all those things are good, each one of them no doubt contributes as an element of a worship opportunity. I want to tell you that I tend to think that those actions and activities alone don't constitute worship. But worship begins, I hope you'll hear me on this, as an attitude. Worship begins in the heart of the person who is worshiping. Because you can do all those things that I just talked about and not have the right attitude. You can sing and not have a worshipful attitude. You can pray and certainly not have a worshipful attitude. And you certainly can preach and not have a worshipful attitude. We can get busy in activities and miss out on worship. So why do we worship? You can be busy with a bad attitude. In his book, Worship, A Christian's Highest Obligation, author Alfred Gibbs offers some insight on what genuine worship is. He notes that there are some distinctions between prayer, praise, and worship. He says prayer is the occupation of the soul with its needs. That's prayer. I'm occupied with my needs. Praise is the occupation of the soul with its blessings. But worship is the occupation of the soul with God himself. So when I'm in worship, it's not about me. 
it's all about him. When I'm in worship. The musicians in here will know that Reverend Clay Evans sang a song some time ago where he invited us to come, let us worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Somebody heard it. And we ought to give him the honor, give him the praise, but come let us worship the Lord. Let's give him all of the praise. There's a scripture, I think, that underlines what true worship looks like. And I want to use that today as our underpinning. It comes from Nehemiah, Old Testament, chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to jump and go to verse nine, chapter 9, verse 3. And I believe it'll underpin what Mr. Gibbs was talking about when he gave us the differences between prayer, praise, and worship. And he told us what real worship is. Let's see if I can read those scriptures for you. Chapter 8 reads, and all, and all the people gathered themselves together as one, as one man, into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord has commanded to Israel. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, watch out now, before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, let me just say this, a number of men. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, if I started calling these names out, I'm going to get half of them wrong, and let's just say a lot of folk. <laughs> a buku, a buku folk. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. You ought to underline that. If you, if you want to know why people stand up in church when the scripture is read, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, gives a clear indication that that is appropriate. And then verse 6 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then chapter 9, verse 3 reads, and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. One-fourth part of the day is three hours. Three hours. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Pretty clear there that Nehemiah and God's people had a strict formula for worship 
that seems to stretch the bounds of the boundaries of where we are in a contemporary worship sense. We're talking about real worship. Real worship. Real worship is focused on God himself. Real worship is not focused on anyone in the sanctuary. Real worship is focused upwards. Real worship is focused on God and God alone. But in that real worship, there are certain actions that come about from a heart that's fully engulfed in a relationship with the Lord. Real worship isn't focused on the needs of a particular blessing. Real worship isn't focused on the needs of I want. It's not even focused on the needs of I need. Real worship is focused on he is. Real worship is focused on the God who makes sure that our very existence continues. Real worship is consumed with an awareness and an awe of the Lord. Real worship gets beyond our needs, gets beyond our desires, goes far beyond our wants and thoughts, and focuses solely on the Lord. Worship, watch this now, is achieved when you are totally consumed in the Lord. When you have eliminated the distractions of now and the surroundings and are focused on him is when real worship occurs. So today as we go through this, Sermon, I want to use the focal point, come let us worship the Lord. Because some of us just don't know how to do it. We do what we sing. We participate in what someone else has shown us, whether they knew it was right or not. Gibbs quotes, the writer I referenced a little while ago, various writers concerning what real worship is. Watch this. He says, the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of the divine favor. That's worship. The overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of the divine favor. Old folks say you get full. Yeah, yeah, they say, yeah, he got full. And when he got full, some folk react in different ways. Some folk just rub their leg. Or pat their hand. Every now and then when somebody gets full and then they shout. Because they can't contain the emotion that they feel at that time. And you ever seen anybody shouting and everybody rush to them and try to calm them down? That's a fire you can't put right out. Because that fire dwells from the inside, comes from the inside. And it's not that they are heated externally is that they're, as Jeremiah said, like a fire shut up in my bones. And I can't put it out. I hope you know that the fire that he referenced being shut up in his bones didn't just happen to preachers. That happens to any believer in God when there's an authentic relationship. You ought to wonder, have you had a fire shut up in your bones when you just had to give God some praise? I love this. The writer says the fact that worship is spontaneous and heartfelt. You can't contrive this kind of worship. In other words, you can't mess it up. I mean, make it up. You can't make it up. 
You can't act like you in authentic worship. No, 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 no. There's no fooling the Lord on worship that's due him. It's something that wells up on the inside. I wish I had a witness in here, somebody that had been through something like this before, and then you could tell me how it feels to have gone through something in your life, not have any clue or answer as to how you were going to get out of that situation. But the Lord had been faithful to you, and somehow you found yourself in a place where all of the I's are starting to get dotted and all the T's are being crossed and none of it happens because you had control of it, but it must have been a higher power that was making things happen, that was orchestrating the things in your life so that in the end you got the victory you needed, but you didn't understand until the moment it welled up in you that it was God that had taken care of you. That's the feeling I'm talking about. Often we relate the opportunity for authentic worship to something happening in our lives. But you ought to get mature enough in your life that just dwelling on what God has done for you ought to evoke some spirit of authentic worship in you. And so that makes us, that makes us ask, when I worship, who do I worship? Who, what is the object of, of your worship? What's the object? Matthew 4 and 10 says, Then said Jesus unto thee, unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, I know that, that y'all realize once we get in, into a worship, a corporate worship opportunity, a whole lot of folk turn that really into just a social gathering. And so what ends up happening in that space is when you see other folk clapping, you clap. Whether or not you understand what's really happening or when somebody else starts shouting, you might get an itch to say amen too. Whether or not you feel it directly, the truth of the matter is being in a corporate setting allows folk the cover of acting like they're in worship when they really aren't in worship. No, no, they might be in the space, but they might not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. And that can be both encouraging and intimidating. Because if you go through it long enough and fake it, you might actually think that you're in an authentic place of worship. When in reality, you've never felt the presence of God in your life enough to know what authentic worship is. Yeah. See, when we come together in corporate worship, that's not just a time for socializing. Even though I love to meet with y'all. I've been telling you for a long time, I'm excited about seeing you come back to this common place of celebration that we have. But coming to see you is not my primary reason for coming here. While I do love it, the reason for me coming here is to preach the word and tell the good news of the Lord. Now, I ask you what your reason for coming is. Is it to just see, to just see folk? I'm going to be real honest with you. Now, this may have more to do with me than your relationship with the Lord, but I haven't heard a whole lot of folks say, I can't wait to get back in that building so I can hear the word preached. 
I haven't heard anybody say that now. That may be the case, but I've heard folks say, I can't wait till I get back in that building so I can see y'all. That's what I hear. And I want you to make sure we keep first things first in our relationship. Our reason for coming back into a corporate worship setting is to praise the Lord corporately, just like we just read in Nehemiah. The folk all came together, as the scripture says, at one time. They said, just off from the water gate. We're here to worship the Lord just like they were. He's the reason why we've gathered here today. That's why, as I used to tell Deacon Miles all the time, I'm going to do the same thing for a handful as I do for a roomful. Because my goal is still the same when we come here. I didn't come here for an update on the latest happenings. No, no, no. I didn't come here so you could tell me you like my updated uh, uh, social media profile page. I didn't come here for you to tell me about your promotion, although I'm so excited for you. That's not my purpose for coming here. I came here so I could be energized by others who are experiencing the same indwelling of the Lord that I'm experiencing because it's from those kinds of experiences. Guess what, Anthony? I get stronger. And I hope you get stronger too. And I hope when you haven't been feeling that in your life and you know you want to feel it, you come around folk who are. Because that'll let you know that God hadn't stopped blessing folk. He's still taking care of those who are his own. And if I'm not feeling that way, it must be me because it can't be him. Because he doesn't change. There has to be something going on in my life. And I shouldn't be listening to the enemy whose sole goal is to tell me to stay away. Stay away from that fire that's in 7600 Division Avenue. Stay away from the folk up there who love the Lord. You don't want to go over there and get yours heated like they are. That's what the enemy is telling you because he doesn't want you anywhere near authentic worship. Because as long as you're not authentically worshiping the Lord, the enemy has your attention. Guess what? The Lord doesn't like that. How do I know that? Because Exodus 34 and tell me, 34 and 14 tells me that for thou shalt worship no other God. Watch this now. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Oh yeah, he's jealous. Well, why wouldn't he be a jealous God? If you had created everything, if you not only had created everything, if you keep everything sustained, if you created everything, including the enemy, how, how, how amazing is that? That the Lord, our God, created everything. He even created beings that don't like him. But he's a jealous God. He's saying, I don't need to share the creation story with you. And I deserve all the praise, honor, and glory. There's nothing negative about that degree of jealousy because the jealousness we're talking about is duly deserved. It's simply a statement of fact. The particular word concerning him being jealous is only used five times in the Old Testament. And it tells us the difference between idolatry and adultery. 
the jealousness that goes on with God is the truth. Whenever we're putting that degree of reverence on a lesser being, it becomes idolatry. He's telling us that I'm the one who's deserving of it. A lot of people can't put their mind around the fact that God is jealous. But guess what? He doesn't even have to explain that he won't compete with anybody else. There's no one who can challenge him. There's no controversy on who the greatest of all time is. He's the goat. There's no one else. There's a, he's the one who deserves it all. And because of that, we're only to worship him. Oh, yeah, we're only to worship him. And so he's the object of our worship. Not only that, look at this. We have an obligation to worship him. Oh, we do. We, we have an obligation to worship him. We're to stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim his word. That's my job as minister, as a, as a preacher, to proclaim his word. And your job as a believer is to receive his word and to worship him. The Lord God of Israel is the same one who brought the same one who brought them out of bondage is the same one who keeps you. You ever thought about that? That all those folk from yesterday, they didn't pray to a different God. They prayed to the same God. Worship. Worship in that respect means you simply join a long line of believers and saints who've been celebrating God. And the question becomes, why would you want to get out of a line like that? All these folk who have found him to be true to his word, all these folk who have found him to be good, are telling us that we have an obligation to keep on worshiping him. And so whatever you're doing that prevents you from worshiping him, thinking that you can find a reasonable substitute, you need to know when you come into this house or whatever place you find yourself worshiping, you need to change your ways and focus completely on him. Focus solely on him when you come. That simply means that you're going to have to learn how to be mature enough to put things out of your mind and concentrate solely on him. Now, I know the secular songwriters have been telling y'all songs like that for a long time. In the sphere of love, folk have been walking around daydreaming and concentrating on the love of their life for a long time. In fact, one of the songwriters sang a song called Concentrate on Him. And you know that means that he wants all your attention even when you're away from him. T, you know what I'm talking about. He, he wants you to focus completely on him. When you're not with him, he wants you to focus on him. That's what a man requires of a woman. And if a man can require that degree of devotion from a woman, then what can a good God require of those who love him? Surely we ought to be able to focus enough and concentrate. On him, it's our obligation. And then, not only is it a great to know that he's the object of our worship and that we have an 
an obligation to worship him, you need to know that when you come and worship, there's a specific offering that he wants. And the core offering is your heart. Worship involves the offering. And here we go. This is where we get sometimes confused. When you come and worship, one of the offerings you can give is a sacrifice of praise. That's what we give him. We, we praise him. Not only do we give him a sacrifice of praise, we also give him an offering of thanksgiving. That's what thanksgiving is. It's an offering to him. And then when we reach the place that we're consumed with the glory and majesty, majesty of God, what we're really doing is offering ourselves to him. Red sings it all the time. I give myself. I give myself away. The greatest gift that God can receive from us is nothing material, nothing created by our hands, but what the greatest gift is, the greatest offering is ourselves. An open, willing, sacrificial, servant heart to him. You don't have to work that up or plan it out. In fact, if it's done the right way, you can't do it. Watch this. Psalms 100 and. Three and four says, know ye that the Lord is, is God. He knows, and we should know, that it's he that's made us and not we ourselves. And so we need to be reminded constantly that we are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture, this pasture. And then we ought to enter into his gates. And as we're coming through the gate, we ought to have thanksgiving on our hearts. And we ought to enter into his courts with praise. Guess what? We also ought to be thankful as we come in. Don't come in grumbling. Come in praising. And as we're doing that, we're blessing his name. That's what authentic worship is all about. Got to have the same frame of mind that the psalmist has. Say, I'm one of God's sheep. I know people don't like to think of themselves that way. But it makes it easier for me, Karen, when I know that I'm no, I don't have to be in charge. When he's in charge. It makes it simple for me when I know he's the shepherd. I'm simply another sheep in his pasture. And, and the, shepherd, the shepherd I know looks out for every sheep in his sheepfold. The shepherd that I know is responsible for making sure all the sheep get to a safe place. The shepherd I know is the one who's watching out for the enemy. The shepherd I know is the one who's doing all the things that we expect a good shepherd to do. And if you don't know what a good shepherd does, then you read Psalm 23. David gave a working job description for a good shepherd because he had worked as one himself. And so Psalms 116 and 17 says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I love that the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Some people act like it is a labor to say thank you to somebody. We struggle when somebody's been good to us to let those words come out um, of our mouths. I thank you for what you've done for me. But can I tell you, you all have no problem thanking the Lord if you know who he really is. Yeah, I, I know we're glad to have a job, but who made the job available to you? Who made it such that you can be taken care of? Sometimes we're thinking too low on the totem pole. Sometimes we're thinking folk who had nothing to do with the blessing that we have. 
You need to think deeper on how your blessing gets there. I couldn't even begin to describe all the details that go into you being able to hold a job. I'm not just talking about your ability, your qualification. I'm talking about the fact that you can work. The fact that you got mind enough to work. The fact that the opportunity presented itself to you at the time it did. Not only that, the fact that God sustains you on the work because every day you show up on that job, you're not a 100% good employee. And God keeps you on the good days just like he keeps you on the bad days. And, and how does the company itself, or maybe it's an entity, how does it keep going such that it can give you the remuneration that you need? So many blessings come into place. Who keeps all those blessings in line? And so when you start thanking somebody, you ought to look higher than what meets the eye. You ought to thank the one who keeps every bit together. So you have the opportunity to give an offering of worship. And then I love this. We even take for granted the fact that we have an opportunity to worship. Oh yeah, we did until March of 2020. We forgot that an opportunity to worship was something that was important to us. We take it for granted too many times on a Sunday morning when we woke up and it was raining and we didn't want to get up. We took for granted the opportunity to worship. And suddenly the thing that we had taken for granted, the opportunity for corporate worship, we couldn't do anymore. Can I tell you, some of us have still been spoiled in this medium called cyber or virtual church. Watch this now. I'm coming down your street. Because even though we we brought a cyber sanctuary experience to you, that doesn't mean you worship. No, 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 no. If you turn on, if you turn on the worship opportunity from 4-5 like you turn on Netflix, that might not be an opportunity to worship. If it's just checking off something on a Sunday date, I watch church, then you might not be in worship with the Lord. You got to take advantage of every opportunity that comes along, or it might just be you watching the latest episode of Four Five Productions. I hope you hear me now. Yo, we are not we are not season five on the Four Five Virtual Church. No, no, no. We brought the corporate worship experience to your location so that you could be in corporate worship with us, those of us who believe. But I found that the folk who missed the opportunity in person also missed the opportunity virtually. You start treating it the same way, whether you got to roll out of bed and roll across town or just roll out of bed and roll in the kitchen. You treat it the same exact way. You don't take advantage of the opportunity. And that extends to your heart. So it doesn't matter how many ways we push the service into your home. Can I tell you something? We have, we have really worked hard to bring the corporate worship experience to you. We have at least four mediums that can bring the worship experience to you on social media. You can come Facebook, you can come Zoom, you can come YouTube, and you can come Instagram. 
and simply be in this space with us. And that has been for the last 18 months we've had the opportunity to do that. How do I know? Because I've gotten messages from members who said, I turned on this platform and some wasn't working right. And so I flipped it to the next platform and I was able to get on right. Can I tell you something? We've given you a better opportunity to be in corporate worship than you would if you could physically come to the building because on Sunday, if you don't get up by enough time to get here for the corporate worship, you have missed the corporate worship. But as the Lord would have it, he wants you to get it so well that even if you miss the 9.30 service, you can turn it on at 10.30. You can turn it on in the afternoon if you really want to worship. You're not limited by time and circumstance. You can get worship experience on demand. If that's what you really want to do, the opportunity to worship is there whenever you want it. Watch this. As many as receive him, John wrote, to them he gave, the, he gave the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you are son or daughter of God, you ought to want to see your daddy sometime. You ought to want to spend some time with him sometime. You ought to not ignore him all the time and only expect that he's going to make sure your checking account is full all the time. You ought to want something from him. You ought to be willing after he's been so good to you to come and worship with him sometime. I, I, I used to know when I come home, it's an amazing thing. I come home on a trip when we were living out of town, Karen and I, when we were newly married in the first few years of our lives, we're coming from out of town, Reg, and I called my mama and said, we're coming home this weekend. And she'd have one question to ask. She didn't ask really what I wanted to eat. One question. She said, y'all coming to church Sunday. That's the question she would ask us. And I know you coming here to hang out with me, but I want to know if y'all are going to come to church to corporate worship on Sunday. That's what she wanted. Now, I just got sense enough to believe that if my mama want to sit in corporate worship with me like that, that surely the Lord wants to see us in corporate, want to see us all get together. The songwriter said, when we all get together, what a day of rejoicing that would be when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and, and shout the victory. So what happens when we come in this assembly? What happens when we get in this setting? Well, the first thing you need to know is the congregation matters. Yeah, the congregation matters. Who we are in this space, it matters. Come in here with the right attitude. Yeah, because your negativity pulls away from the energy that comes from everybody else. So this congregation matters. This, According to Nehemiah, 
the congregation that was sitting there was a good group. It was everybody. It was every adult and children who could understand what was happening. That's why you need to train your children up so they can sit in a service and understand what's being taught to them. Yeah, we can start out by giving them cartoons, but before long they need to have a Bible put in their hand so they can understand what thus said the Lord. And I'm so thankful that the Bibles are written now so that it doesn't matter how old you are, we can write it such that you understand it. Not only was there a good congregation there, there was cooperation. Oh yeah, there was cooperation. All the people who were gathered there in the street before the water gate, each one was in their place and there was no dissension in their purpose. Everybody was unified in their purpose. They came to hear the word of the Lord. That's what they came for. According to the scriptures I read you, everybody wanted to hear. How do I know that? Because they took the time to build a pulpit for Ezra to preach from. And the Bible says that Ezra got up in the pulpit and was higher than everyone else. When he got up, that's so everybody could hear him and he could be understood from the front to the back. That was the same purpose to, to hear him. That's why we push it out. We don't want anybody not to be able to get the word. We push it out over your head. How do I come into your house? Somebody tell me the, the, the scientific way that I come into your house from the church. How is it that from 7600 Division Avenue, I can get to your house on Bristol Manor. Tell me how that works. Well, I don't know, but I also don't know how the Holy Spirit gets there either. I don't know how he comes from heaven's way and gets to my house. All I know is that he does. And he blesses us. I love this too, Reg. There's an agenda for worship. We kind of figured out as we go along here sometimes is live theater. But the focal point of the worship service the focal point was the delivery of the word. That was the focal point. And they wanted it so, so much that the word had priority in them being there. The sermon, they listened to it. They listened to him read the scripture for three hours. Three hours. That's how hungry they were for the word of God. Now, they didn't have all the distractions that we have. All that means, destiny, is we have to work harder to keep those distractions out of our way. Not that we can't use them for beneficial things, but they should never get in the way of the delivery of the Word of God. And not only that, they placed a priority on hearing the Word of God. They reverenced it. How do I know that? Because when the Word of God was read, they stood to attention. Everybody that was able to get up got up. And then the word of God came to them through the, preach of a, through the preaching of a minister. This is so important. So important that the preacher be able to give you a word that everybody can understand. That he can break it down so that everybody at their level can understand. And not only that, it has to be persuasive. Persuasive enough for you to know that this is not for the elites. This is for everybody that's in the streets. Everybody ought to be able to get the word of God. What happens when you preach like that? Well, you bring respect to the word of God. Not only that, you bring respect to the institution that preaches 
the word of God like that. When Ezra opened the word of God, all the people stood up. They respected it. Yeah. What we need now is good preaching so that folk respect the word of God. Now, it can't just always be the only Bible you read shouldn't be somebody's T-shirt. Every now and then you got to be able to open a book of the Bible and read what it says and you got to understand it and somebody's got to help teach you. You got to respect the word of God. Why do I know you need to respect the word of God? Because the more you respect the word of God, you, the more you'll respect the God who gave it to us. What happens when you respect the word of God? It starts bringing rejoicing to you. Oh, my Lord, you start learning that God, this God, you mean this same God who took care of Moses is the one that takes care of me in West End? You mean this same God who took care of David is the same one who takes care of me at my house, the same one who guides me, the same shepherd for these folk is my shepherd. The more I hear about it, the more I understand it. I know I might not have a good daddy like this man was in the Bible, in Luke. But guess what? Jesus said he'll be my father. There's somebody I can substitute for the one I didn't get. And I learned that here in the Bible. And not only that, I can see some good men in this sanctuary who can be some good father figures to me. It might not be at my house, but I can learn through the worship opportunity that God has provided for me. And it'll bring you reverence too. Yeah, we don't teach reverence enough. We throw too much stuff away as we are changing and becoming. We forget reverence is a part of how we are supposed to interact with the Lord. We got to reverence this place. This is not just a do anything, any kind of way place. There ought to be something special in here. Guess what? My mama's funeral was in here. Don't turn it into no bad home. Make sure you keep it reverent. I'm sitting up here looking at D right now, and D right now, struggling with the loss of his mama. But he ought to have a place he can go where he can reverentially remember how good God has been to his family. And I know enough about his life to know that he's been playing that drum in church all his life. And because he's been doing that, when he comes into a sanctuary, there ought to be a feeling of comfort that comes to him and lets him know that everything might be messed up out there, but I can come to a place. There ought to be a place ranch can come play. And the music can strengthen you so that you can know everything's going to be all right. It ought to bring some rejoicing when we sit here and we celebrate the fact that even though families don't get along all the time, some folks stay married for 70 years. We ought to rejoice in that knowledge. Not only does it bring rejoicing and reverence, it helps me with my attitude because I realize when I come in on Sunday morning, Ridge, I got to be in the right frame of mind. Oh, oh yeah, I got to adjust myself. Me and Karen may have just been arguing over whether or not the bacon was, was done enough. Something that doesn't matter. That's how it is. And I got to come in here and get myself together. Why? Because I'm committed to you. But I'm more committed to him 
and making sure that everything's going to be all right. And I love this. They were committed. Those folk who stood there that day, read, they were committed. They stood there for three hours. And the word of God was read to them. Not only were they committed, they confessed. Believe it or not, after they heard the word of God being read from the scrolls by Ezra for three hours, they then had three more hours of prayer and confession. Six hours they stood in a worship service. Six hours they sang and were devoted to nothing but praising and worshiping the Lord for six hours. Can you imagine today if our service went past 60 minutes? Folk will be looking at me. They already have audit on their phone. People are already troubled this morning because I preach longer than I normally do. I'm still talking about the Lord. And he's worthy. He's worthy. They're wondering if I'm going into the study group time when I'm preaching. I ain't worried about him. I'm praising the Lord. And then when they completed it, all of this service, we, they worship the Lord. They actually achieved worship that day. Pray with me this. Oh, Lord, let it be such that one day everybody will come into this sanctuary and we will all be in worship. Let that be a day that comes to us, Lord, that none of us will be distracted by exterior circumstances, but we'll all be focused completely on you like they were that day. No empty service for them that day. And I don't want to give God no empty services in here any day. And so how do we complete a worship opportunity? We complete it by making sure our heart is all right. We complete it by making sure we're focused. We make sure that we're focused on the one true and living God. But in order to do that, everybody in here needs to be a believer. And so that leads me to this final question. Do you believe? In him, do you know him? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Doesn't it all start there? Who is your God and who is your God? Who guides you through life? I can tell you when I was in charge of making the decisions in my life, things didn't go as well. But when I brought on another life manager better than me, Things have gotten better for me far beyond that I could see. I love the fact that Jesus is a better life minister, life manager than I could ever have. But first I had to place my faith in him. So I'm extending to you this opportunity. Do you know that he died for you and that he loves you? Do you know that he was crucified for you? Well, guess what? From this day forward, our complete focus is going to be on completely worshiping the Lord. We love him, and I know he loves us. Do you know him for yourself? Have you tried him for yourself? Do you understand that he is the one who guides you and keeps you and protects you? Do you know that? If you've never accepted him, then learn how to come in here and let us worship the Lord together. When you get ready to come back next Sunday, come, let us worship the Lord. As we move forward, come, let us worship the Lord. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer.